Hey, this is Recovered AF Podcast. My name is Aaron. This is a podcast where we usually talk about um, being recovered uh, from alcoholism and addiction, but that doesn't mean that we're affiliated with any 12-step groups. My man Kyle is going to tell you all about that. I feel like you just told them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. We're, we are not affiliated at all with any 12-step organization. Uh, those organizations don't have spokespeople or representatives. Um, obviously, if they did, they wouldn't choose Aaron and I to, uh, to speak for them. Uh, Aaron and I are just sharing our own experience. Um, some of it is related to 12-step world. Some of it is related to just stuff that Aaron and I do in our own personal lives, like uh, therapy or... Uh, meditation or books we read and shit but we are in no way affiliated at all with any 12-step organization um we just started a podcast because aaron and i felt like we should start talking and uh sharing some experience so thanks that's right so today what we're going to talk about we're going to do another step exploration and we're going to go in and we're going to look at step one and we're going to share our experience with the first step and this is not the first time that we've attempted to do this. And then we tried to do, actually, this is our third attempt at a podcast in the last four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the last five days, I think. Yeah. yeah. And none have made it out there. Yes. Hopefully this one will. We retested our audio like a dozen times to make sure that we're in good shape because we downloaded this new audio software. Um, it's fancier than what I understand. And so then we tried to do it, and then one time I didn't connect a cord. (laughs) So we didn't have good audio that time, and then Aaron and I tried to do a first-step exploration one time before, just on, uh, was Saturday? Yes. And now it's Monday, but on Saturday uh, the audio was all fudged up again. Yeah, we're basic. We're going back to our old setup yeah. To get a podcast out because it's been over a week since we put one out. Recovered AF is basic AF. Yeah, dude. So with that said, we're going to discuss the first step. And the first step um, is basically, in in a nutshell, what our experience has been. We're not going to like, uh, I don't think, we, neither of us have a book in front of us. We're going to. Just go with it, right? I've got I've got it pretty much memorized, though, Kyle. So what is the first step then? No, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah, so basically what, what we would talk about is um, uh, the first step in recovery would be describing how uh, we're powerless and unmanageable about drinking or drug use. Um, like, whoa, <laughs> it's coming in hot after that drink of yeah, Diet, Coke, Diet Coke, Coke in your yeah. throat. Everything came out at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, um, so when I when I think about the first step, the things that I talk to a new person about, or I look back at my own experience, it has a lot to do with um, the words choice and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the sentence that our literature uses is, uh, "We are men and women who have lost the power of choice and drink." Or in my case, we are men and women who lost the power of choice and drug. And that's probably a that's probably a uh, I don't know it's probably a concept that seems pretty out out crazy to somebody that hasn't ever had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I can assure you that um, at the end of my using career, there's no way that I wanted to be doing what I was doing any longer. Right. Yeah. So I think what we should do is hit on, and again, we don't need to quote it word for word, but our literature talks about like the moderate drinker, the hard drinker, and like a real alcoholic. Okay. Why don't you you eloquently describe that better than I do? I don't. I'm pretty sure when we did this once already, <laughs> your description was fantastic. Yeah, we can we can do that. Okay. But. okay. So we'll just go as best as we can. So yep. the moderate drinker, and like so, if you're like me and maybe your thing was opiates and you've never experienced, I'm just gonna say drinker, but you know. You know damn well what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the the first example they give us is the moderate drinker, and they have little trouble um, giving it up, right? They're yeah, like taking it or leaving it. Yeah, they can stop or moderate without too much trouble, and that's the moderate drinker. And then the next type of drinker, they, they give us like three, I think, right? Mm-hmm. The hard drinker would yeah. be the next one. The hard drinker. And then the hard drinker, it talks about, hits it pretty hard, goes pretty hard in the paint, and gets Mm -hmm. after it pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy has, this guy does have some trouble stopping. It says that he might have to be hospitalized. Uh, What are the other examples it gives? Uh, It, that, it basically just describes that, like, he he might have to be hospitalized and he might experience some consequences of his drinking. Yeah, and, and it might take a few years off his life. Yes. Right, so this guy's getting it after it pretty good. But this says, like, so if this guy has a sufficiently strong reason, he can also stop or moderate. And, right. And the examples are, like, if he falls in love. And then I've got some actual experience with a buddy of mine that <clears throat> we drank we drank a lot alike, and I think anybody that knew him knew, probably figured he would end up in you know in a bad way mm-hmm. if he continued down that road because of uh, how how you know how he went about it. And um, at some point in his twenties, he realized that that wasn't that wasn't life for him, and that wasn't life that he wanted. And uh, he he moved away. He met a girl. He decided that uh, that was more important than the life he'd been living, and he turn things around and he's you know just a I don't know just a good husband and family man and all of those things so like even though we drank a lot alike uh the difference between us is when you know he he decided and he met a girl he was able to turn things around and when I decided and I met a girl I ended up living on my buddy's couch a year before our first anniversary right right because I didn't have the power to stop or moderate on my own right or if somebody gets a stern warning from a doctor like hey man you, you know, you keep going like this, your liver's going to shut down. Right. Or that, the law or something. You know? Yeah. Gets mm-hmm. that DUI. Mm-hmm. You know, he has the ability to stop. Get his, his shit power. together. Yeah. I think the Thunderbirds are getting ready to fly around. I'm going to go close these windows. Okay. Is that all right? Yeah. So you talk. <laughs> yeah. So like what Aaron is describing is um, the, the hard drinker. And then uh, it goes on to describe the real alcoholic. And um, what, what I always really try to express is that the, the hard drinker and the real alcoholic uh, very often look similar, like Aaron was just describing. And um, the thing that, that, that I ran into in my experience was um, when I had sufficient force and sufficient reason to stop uh, from the law and from pleading of my family and uh, previous relationships and uh, losing jobs and some stuff like that, uh, I still was unable to to reel it in and to control or moderate. And so for me, um, 
the real alcoholic is is what I end up with. I'm I'm not the other two, even though I would like to be the other two. Yeah, right? like I would love to be a hard drinker where I can fucking party a few nights a week, get my shit together. I don't really have much consequences other than I party a little too much, and I have friends like that. And I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm so envious of those guys, man. They get, I mean, you know, they, they they booze it up. They get down, you know. I knew people that could, you know, go out on the weekend and just get a handful of Oxy and get down over the weekend. And then when, you know, maybe get a little yay or whatever. And then, you know, Sunday comes, they pull themselves together and they're ready for work on Monday. Yeah. And uh, I guess one of the one of the one of the things about my experience is that I tried that mm-hmm. um, because that makes sense. Right. If I'm doing too much, then the logical solution is to space out my use so that I don't get strung out, so that I don't get physically addictive, so mm-hmm. that I don't spend all of this money, so that I don't have to lie all the time about what I'm doing. Right. So it makes sense that I would just cut back how much I'm using. Um, the unfortunate thing for me is why I had that idea that I could probably use three days in a row and then take a week off and then to use three days in a row or just on the weekends, Friday, Saturday. I mm-hmm. tried that thing. Um, but what happens to me is I react abnormally to the drug. Mm-hmm. Whereas when my grandma um, has a knee surgery and the doctor prescribes her some um, Oxycontin, she takes one, it knocks her in the dirt, and she goes to sleep for the next 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I put one in my system and it triggers something. And I um, it's like... a all I want is more and mm-hmm. I don't know when I'm going to stop. And for me, that was when I ran out of money or when I ran out of drugs. Right. When something outside of me stopped me. Yeah. So I would think that that qualifies as like being powerless, right? Like your, your life, um, you don't have the power to control like what's going to happen once you start using. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And we talked about that predictability, right? Mm-hmm. If I could predict what was going to happen when I started using then we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think the the best way that I describe it is a part of our literature that describes it as like if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely or if when using or drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, then you're probably an alcoholic. And for me, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I check that box, um, both of those, um, when... When I start, I it's very unpredictable of what, what will happen next. I have no control over what's going to happen. And um, when when my life got really out of hand and unmanageable and really, really, really in a bad spot, um, somehow I continued to, to start drinking again. But so about that, like it wasn't that, it wasn't that, um, like I want to get into your thought process when when you say you know come out of a blackout smashing in delineator posts, <laughs> and you can't remember anything for the last four days, mm-hmm. and it genuinely scares the shit out of you. Yeah, because that's not what you intended when you started drinking four days ago. Right. But then, like, take me through like a couple days later, because at that point, I'm guessing you swear it off for a while, right? You're yeah. Like, I, I'm just, I, okay, this is this is for real, the time kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I had that that accident that you're describing, and I um uh, I I swore off drinking. I said I was never going to do it again. I swore it to my parents, and I I think part of the hard part about dealing with alcoholics and drug addicts is a lot of our behavior is uh, dishonest. 
and and this was one of those times where I was I was honest. Yeah. I was I was I meant it. I really I mean I was scared to death, and mm-hmm. I meant it. I did not want to. Uh, I did not want to drink again because like I was starting to realize like this shit happens. And I was twenty four. I didn't get sober for a couple more years, and um, and so I swore it off altogether. I told my parents that I I was done. Like this time's going to be different. They were trying to get me to go to rehab at that point, and I was like. I swear, I don't need it. I'm going to get this shit together. I'm never going to drink again. Like, this is the last thing you ever have to worry about ever happening again. And I meant that. And then uh, a few days later, um, you know, I'm trying to keep it low key. I'm trying to just like not drink and, you know, kind of keep my shit together. And I'm around a couple of my buddies and we're watching a college basketball game and they're drinking Moscow Mules. And my mind just goes, oh, yeah, I love Moscow Mules. I wonder what one I could probably have one. One. This time it'll be, it'll be different, yeah. and then I I have one, and then unfortunately for me, I have one, and then my body reacts differently, and so I end up going, oh yeah, I'm gonna have one, and then one leads to another one, and another one, and another one, and then I'm on a four day blackout again, three days after swearing off alcohol for good and meaning it with every fiber in my being. And then that's something I think we should talk about, too, is that what happens when the drug enters our system? Because for people that are, you know, um, moderate drinkers or have had a surgery and been prescribed some pain medicine or whatever, gone out on the weekends and maybe, you know, mm-hmm. done some whatever narcotics, you know, a time or two in their life um, that, have, that have the ability to um, have a few drinks, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But like, it's that feeling when we have a few drinks and, um, maybe that person starts to feel it and they don't want to lose control. They don't want to get drunk. Right. They enjoy the relaxation of three drinks and then that's where they want to stop. So that's where they stop. Right. But with somebody like us, I get that feeling and I start to feel the effects of alcohol and I get that buzz and my ability to control or regulate my drinking goes right out the window. Yep. That's when the gas goes on. Right. Is when I start to get buzzed. And there's n- like <laughs> at that point I'm physically reacting to the dr- the drug differently than most people, 90% of the population probably, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it's not a matter of will and it's not a matter of like just shutting it off it's like autopilot takes over mm-hmm. and the drinks go in yeah exactly and for me that um that experience is um it, it i like change like my people have commented on like yeah like you like went from one kyle to like the other Kyle, and we've had Chet on here, and he yeah. jokes that they called him Chaz. Chaz. Yeah, because, like, that happens, right? I get a drink, and I'm like, damn, like, I'm feeling some ease and comfort. I feel good. Yeah. Fuck this week. It's all good. No biggie. I have another drink, and then all of a sudden, like, my body just starts reacting differently, and and that is calling the shots from now on. That that urge or craving or whatever you would want to call it is calling the shots, and no ma- no amount of willpower for me is going to reel that thing back in. And like, I think our book talks about this at this point. It says that these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to like 
to how, how does it say it? They weren't drinking to escape. They were drinking um, because of a craving, craving beyond their control. Yes. right. And that's the phenomenon of craving. Exactly. It's not that I'm pounding seventeen beers because I'm trying to escape from something. It's because there is a physical craving that has kicked in that is now calling the shots, like you said. Right. The majority of my drinking um, was spent with the idea in mind. Like, I, I'm probably just going to drink like other people do today. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, I mean, there was, it's not like I never was like, I'm getting fucked up tonight. Yeah. Cause like that happened too. Yeah, but sure. But there's a lot of times where it was like, I'm going to drink pretty regularly and this time is going to be different. And the whatever happened a week ago or three days ago or however bad the accident or whoever left me or whatever job I just lost, like, yeah, that was all terrible. But like I'm not gonna drink like that tonight. Yeah. So it's fine. You that's know? off the table. Yeah. It's like, like that's the insanity of the thing is my right. mind does not <laughs> does not realize the current situation that I'm in and process that correctly. Right. I don't have to worry about all those consequences I just faced because that's not gonna happen this time. Exactly. Why would I do that again? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so then for me, the drinking just starts again because it's gonna be different. I have every idea in my mind of how it's gonna be different. Uh, towards the end of my drinking, I usually had a plan of how it was going to be different, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna only go to this place, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna only drink beer or whatever. You know, our book outlines a lot of that of like how I'm gonna control my drinking this time, and this time is gonna be different. And yeah, the other, the other shit, like that was last time. I'm yeah. different now, <laughs> you know. And and then I I run through the same senseless series of sprees that you know just caused me to fucking. And, and like even inside our fellowship, there's, you know, lots of different kinds of drinkers and, and even real alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And like Kyle's experience looks a little bit different than mine. Right. Whereas mine would be like, um, you know, Friday, Saturday night, like when I was married and, you know, Amber's not okay with me staying out all night. She knows when I drink, I tend to do irrational things. <laughs> and so I tell her and I tell myself when I leave the house at six o'clock. I'm going to be home at nine o'clock. I said every time. And mm-hmm. I meant it with everything I had. I said, babe, I'm going to go out, have a couple pitchers. I'll be home about nine, <laughs> yeah. 10 at the latest. Right. right. Nine o'clock rolls around. I'm like, I said 10 at the latest. <laughs> yeah. 10 o'clock rolls around. And I'm like, what's the difference between now and midnight? Right. And then once I get past midnight, she's yeah. already asleep anyway. Yeah. Right. And all bets are off. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I know I need to stop. I know I need to go home. I know when I stay there, things get out of control. Right. Yet I'm unable to leave that seat. Right. That's the phenomenon of craving. Yeah, exactly. And for a long time, I didn't understand any of that. And I really didn't even understand that when I first got sober. Yeah. Because my mind, like it, it, the, the book describes like the alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. And so for me, like my mind, the way it works, that just seemed normal. Like, oh yeah, I, I give all of these commitments and I say all of this stuff and then like something happens, I start drinking and I like all that shit just goes out the window and that's just normal life. And yeah. like, you need to deal with that if you want to be around me because <laughs> that's just how I interact with the yeah. world. Yeah. You, my thing was you knew who I was when we got married. Yeah, right. And that was me with everything, yeah. like my family and my friends and everything. It's like, well, you know, when I drink, like, yeah, shit gets fucking wild. Yeah. And I disappear for a few days. And <laughs> I go hard, man. Yeah. What do you want? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, so for me, the the thing is that, like, yeah, that 
phenomenon of craving is how it's described that once I start, I don't, I can't control what's going to happen. I would love to be able to have three drinks and go home. Yeah. Like that would be what a normal drinker would do. Mm. Unfortunately, that wasn't my experience. When that buzz sets in, it's so satisfying. I always just wanted to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> that sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. You're like, all right. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing where like controlling my drinking, because like, I joke about this, but it's the truth. Like, controlled drinking for me was not blacking out. Yeah. And so for me, I would I would do all kinds of crazy stuff to, to, to figure that remedy out, right? Like, okay, <laughs> the problem is when I drink, I black out. So I'm going to do all of this stuff to not black out. It wasn't like maybe I should reel it in and not drink ever again right. until the very end. But early on, it was like, okay tequila is a no-go right (laughs) when i drink tequila i fucking chase parked cars i lose my (laughs) shit right like but this worked last time so i'll chase that again and then that didn't even work yeah you know some people go oh i can't do whiskey and they drink beer and they're fine like for me i drink beer and it's still not fine so i just i don't have control once i put alcohol in my system and then we talked a little bit about the mental side of it but Mm -hmm. i want to talk a little bit more of that because that's sort of the thing you know if we could not take a drink or not pick up that drug in the first place, we'd be fine, right? Because we spent the last 15 minutes talking about what happens when we do. We lose control with drinking, what it looks like. And for me with drugs, I stop when I run out of money or when I run out of drugs. Mm-hmm. And that might, be, that might be months down the road. I'm not talking about a few days. I'm talking about a, you know right. months at a time. Yeah. Well, and then a normal person who doesn't understand what we deal with would say, well, Aaron, just detox. And then don't use them ever again, right? That would be like a normal sane thought. Would be like, well, now that you're physically removed from them, just don't use them anymore. Absolutely. And that is a normal sane thought. And that's what I would think (laughs) when I made it through the the withdrawals. I would make it through... I would like get over the worst of it because I can... I, I just... I wouldn't... I would not wish opiate withdrawals on my worst enemy. Right. It's insomnia. It's uh, tummy issues. It's not sitting still it's hot flashes it's goose flesh it's not cool it's not cool but i mean and so i'd get through it i'd get through the worst of it i'd start sleeping a little bit i could get some food down Mm -hmm. things would get solid in the tummy area and i'd start to be feeling a little bit better and i would get to the other side of that and i would see some sunlight and maybe somebody would send me a text or I knew somebody's fill day was coming up because a lot of what I did was mostly prescription painkillers. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier for me to get a hold of those than it was to get a hold of heroin where we lived. I had pretty solid hookups. And so I knew somebody's fill day was coming up and the thought would come into my head, you know, those withdrawals really weren't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I just made it through. I can make it through again. Right. I've got all this money that I have from the last 10, 14 days when I haven't been using. You know what? Actually, what I'll do is I'll just use for two or three days this time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to have to go through withdrawals again. It's Friday. I want to have a good weekend. I've got some shit to do. I'll just go Friday, Saturday, maybe one Sunday morning, and I'll be good to go. Right. Right. And I I believed it. Man, exactly. I was like, I was buckled down. And then weeks or months later, out of money, out of drugs, completely strung out. Right. Wondering how I ended up in that situation again. Yeah. It was so frustrating. It yeah. was so frustrating because other times in my life when I'd really buckled down and really wanted something, I was able to 
like at the very last minute, pull my shit together right. and get it together, regardless of what it was. Mm-hmm. And this was the one thing. And I've and I'd done it with other drugs, you know. I, you know, whenever and I got married, I was doing a lot of coke and drinking. And mm-hmm. like I, I realized I only got cocaine when I was drinking. So that really, what I needed to do was quit drinking, <laughs> and then I could stop doing cocaine. And that was a little. T- <laughs> it took a while. It took a while for me to be able to like string three weeks together without drinking mm-hmm. but i did it and then i eventually you know stopped doing the coke right and uh and so i'd done it i you know i've done some meth you know some meth for binges i guess yeah. would be the best description and with opiates i just thought like i'm eventually going to get to that breaking point where i'm going to be able to turn the switch off and it just never came yeah exactly and uh, that loop is like I call it a first step loop now where it's just like my mind tells me I'm going to do it differently this time. I drink. My body reacts the same as always, which is unpredictable and uncontrollable, and I don't know what's going to happen. I come out of it really beat up, really remorseful, really frustrated, really like bound to do it different this next time and I'm fucking, I'm done and I'm going to get my shit together and I'm going to grow up or whatever it is and I tell myself and then eventually my mind tells me that I, I'm going to do it different this time and then my body does the same. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just like this loop and if I could fix that loop on my own, I wouldn't need a 12-step fellowship. Like that's the the whole thing for me. It's like really that simple. If I could break out of that cycle of keep telling myself I'll do it different, not doing it different, keep telling myself, then I wouldn't need a 12-step fellowship. But our literature describes like if if we experience that cycle, we've probably placed ourselves beyond human aid. And it says that many of us pursue that insanity all yeah. the way to the grave. Exactly. And I've seen it, right? I've had too many family members die from this illness, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. to know that that's not true. And I was headed there, you know, myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure we both were. I mean, it's only by God's grace that either of us are probably even still here. Yeah, you exactly. know, We've already cheated death at bond, yeah. each of us. Exactly. So for me, that's kind of the, the crux of the thing is like I experience that powerlessness my life is super unmanageable uh, and and i kind of just run in that loop i can't break out of that loop i need something bigger than me yeah and that's where the rest of the work kind of kicks in and that sort of yeah like you said drives that second step yeah if and like for me i had the realization and like i i had outed myself well i outed myself every time Mm -hmm. to amber Mm -hmm. and it was I was just so good at lying. I mean, you know, there's times when I say I'm going to stop and I tell myself and I tell the people around me and, and I mean it mm-hmm. and I'm not lying, right? I might be <laughs> suffering from some delusion, but I'm definitely not lying, right. right? But then there's times when I'm in the grips of what and I'm doing what I'm doing and I'll go to any lengths to be a, a it's, it's like it's like the illness kicks in and right. you know, it's like that thing from stranger things that needs fed continually and like i'll start lying and i'll start stealing from my from my when i say stealing i mean from my wife from our account i'll get really sneaky about the way i manage money right and i'll go to any lengths to continue doing that right i don't really remember where i started going with that i'm pretty sure off the track yeah but 
I I think what you, I'm not sure either. <laughs> Dang it, what the hell are we talking about? But but what I what I um what I think of is like yeah the I remember your dishonesty. I think. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I was like, so so I outed myself at the end because I would just lie so much and, and able to you know, like continue using. And I just got to the end there where I'd already been I'd already been to treatment. I'd already been done twelve step work. I'd. I was trying to stay clean on my own. I was in and out. I was trying to just drink and not do opiates. Like I was trying to do all these things. And at the end, I was just, I was going to the ATM machine every day and I was drying out $100, $120 or whatever it was to go get Dilaudid's to get me through the day. And I didn't want to be doing it anymore. And I just hated it. And I just knew I had zero chance of stopping. Mm-hmm. I had no didn't matter what I, at that point I was I I was out of plans. Yeah. Like all of the all of the delusion I had told myself if I try it this way, if I tried it this way, that was all gone. Right. And I knew that I had no chance. I knew I was so fucked mm-hmm. that there was nothing that I was ever going to be able to do. There was no way I was ever gonna be able to come up with a plan right. to get out of this thing. And I was giving up on the twelve step approach. I was definitely not willing to go back to there. And I just knew I was done, and I knew if I like, I knew I had to tell Amber because I I couldn't trust myself. Right. I literally could not trust myself, so I had to out myself to Amber, or I was going to spend every cent we have and didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so I had to tell her, and I knew that. And so I lied to her, and I told her I needed to talk about like she was wanting to get a different house, and mm-hmm. I told her I needed to talk about that. And let's make an appointment, and we have to talk about it tonight. And then the time came, and I knew what I was really going to do is out myself, and then I couldn't. And right. I was like, we'll talk about it another night. She's like, no, we made an appointment. And so then I told her, and that's when she was like, all right, later. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't quite like that, but, man, you know. And so, like, the thing about it was, and the point of that was, like, I did not want to be doing that anymore. Right. Like, when I talk about, like, I had that first step experience, I was so done, and I knew that I had zero chance of stopping on my own. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point of that. Thing. Yeah, and what I what I think of is that, um, unfortunately, as sad as it is, no one else gets me there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Amber, Amber's love or hate or concern or anything doesn't get you there. Yeah. Just like my my family's concern or. My job's like no, nothing else gets me there. The only thing that gets me to that experience where I, where I'm defeated, is like my own life. Like my own life has to kick the shit out of me until I get to that point. Because I've had countless people try to talk to me about it, try to explain it to me, express concern or love. You know what I mean? Our our book talks about like frothy emotional appeal mm-hmm. seldom suffices, and that that to me. It's like, I want that stuff to work. It's not that I don't give a shit that I'm breaking my mom's heart or that you're crushing Amber all the time. It's not like I don't care about that stuff. That stuff means the world to me. Unfortunately, that stuff doesn't have the power to get me any better either. And that's the the frustrating part of it is like, I just keep running this fucking cycle and I'm just a whirlwind in everybody's life and nobody has the power to fucking get me out of that. Nobody. Me, my family my wife money a job nothing has the power to snap me out of that until like we find that that breaking point that moment of clarity that whatever it is where we or for whatever i don't know i don't know what if it's a you know a, a moment of clarity from god or if it's just 
finally, you know, getting our heads cleared off if we are separated from the drug or the alcohol from mm-hmm. it until we realize like something's got to change and I don't know what it is. And I can't do it. Yeah. That was big for me. Like my moment of clarity, I was fucking in jail again and, and suicide watch and all of that in my turtle suit. <laughs> Your turtle suit. Yeah, That's dude. Like yeah, just it's like a roll of carpet. For anyone <laughs> that doesn't know what a turtle suit is, it's like a itchy roll of carpet that they give you. That they give you when you're on suicide watch? Yeah, and you're just ass naked in there and they lock you in your <laughs> own room. They don't. They give you bologna sandwiches as all. And this thing that like it, it's not a blanket. It's like too stiff to be a blanket so that you can't like do anything with yeah, it. Yeah, so you can't rip it right. and hang yourself with yeah, it or something. Yeah, or do something crazy. Yeah. yeah, like you just, it's literally like a roll of carpet <laughs> and it's green and everyone calls them turtle suits. So, so in there, my moment of clarity was just like, I'm fucked. Like, that was it. Like, I am so fucked. Like, this is going to be my life forever. Like you said, you were describing yours. Like, I, this is going to be it. I'm yeah. so done for. Like, that was my realization and epiphany or whatever you want to call it was just like, I am so done. And I there's like, there's nothing I can do. I've tried everything in the world to get this thing under control. And there's nothing that I can do. And... And then a few days later being like, maybe I just need help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that was my thought. So it's got to be like being in a straight jacket or, or quicksand or something. And like the more you struggle to get out, the tighter it gets. Yeah. And I can tell until I'm fine. You can go and go and go until finally you, re- you just have to accept defeat. Really. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then accepting defeat might mean though like one of the options or one of the alternatives usually when people like us accept defeat is like suicide yeah right? that's a pretty real that's mm-hmm. a pretty real consideration because we've already tried all of the other stuff as far as we've known yeah right exactly like yeah, a, yeah job change location change uh different people in my life doing this different doing that different like everything in the world and it's like i got nothing left so what's the point anyway yeah and, and that was where i found myself and then a few days later <laughs> hanging out in suicide watch having the realization like maybe i just need help and then things getting better and to me that was like an in like an intervention from a power greater than me was like hey here's a thought like yeah (laughs) yeah you know and that's sort of like that's almost the second step yeah right there and maybe even a little into the third is like realizing that something greater is needed and asking for help yeah exactly it talks about like a beginning like happens from that very point like Mm -hmm. that's all that's needed and that's my experience too and i don't want to get too much further down the line right just simply you know and that that i've had that unfortunately a couple of times but i've had it in a treatment center that first time i Mm -hmm. tried when the thought came into my head like haven't you had enough right just do whatever these people tell you to yeah and i was like okay and i just sort of admitted defeat at that point but you know and like as i've said had to go back out and get a little bit more but mm-hmm. that last time i didn't even have a plan <laughs> you know i was just <laughs> like i don't even know nothing's then, gonna work yeah, yeah it was just like dang and then that's when i f- you know, looked into the Ibogaine and the Mexico and all of that. But even at that, then when I get back, I still didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. I, I laid in bed and cried for a day and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Right. That, that's what I did. Um, so when you're meeting with someone, this is a, this is because like our experience, I think we've, we've hit on pretty solid on like our experience. When you're meeting with someone else, 
um, I think you and I have similar approaches, but is is this something that you are um, hoping to help them see? Is this something that you're hoping they've already kind of experienced is like that hopelessness and and then you're kind of just putting words to what they've already experienced? Yeah, so I'll sit down and I'll have that conversation with them and we'll go through it and I'll ask them about, you know, whatever it is they're drinking or they're drugging and I'll ask them about, you know, about overshooting the mark, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you, 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 black, you black out or like, you know, if you, if you, you know, if something important's happened and you want to just only have a few drinks, do you do that? Or I'll, I'll ask them a lot about how they drink or I've, I'll ask them about times they've tried to quit, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. what the thought process was if they weren't able to quit. Right. Um, and um, when they start talking about that, what I find is, when I start to see that they're drinkers of my type or druggers of my type, um, the stories they start to tell start to match our literature. Right. And then it's the coolest shit. Then I can just go into our literature and point out a sentence or two and say, so basically this is what you're describing, right? Mm -hmm. When you start drinking, this is what happens. Right. And, or when, you know, like the one that we had to erase, I, talked about a guy that I worked with that um, had a thought. It ended It ended like Easter morning waking up in a Casper jail cell after having stolen yeah. a car, and it started several days prior with Dos Equis. Yeah. Not Dos Equis in a while, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Because he had been sober for like eight months prior to that, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that thought, and that's that, the mental obsession. But like, And so then I'll be able to go and point to the literature and point that out to him. And mm-hmm. we get in and see where um, he can pull his experience out of our literature. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to convince him of anything. Right. right. It's not, well, I don't know, you do a pretty good job of explaining about it not being our job to convince him of anything. Right. Yeah, that's usually what I do is just um, I'll ask about his drinking and, like, have you ever tried to quit? And... and well, yeah, yeah. Well, what would it happen? And and then I'll ask them like, have you ever tried to control it? You know, like, have, and just kind of talk to them about what their drinking looks like. And then I will tend to share my experience that's similar to theirs. That way, we kind of are finding some common ground. Like, oh, okay, like I get it. You you drink like that too, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. And like, this is what kept happening to me. And then we'll kind of bond over that. And then I do the same thing where it's like this is where the where our literature actually talks about this, yeah. right? This is where it describes, in the doctor's opinion, that physical allergy as it's described. And, like, this is what it looks like. This is what it looked like in my life. This is what we're talking about in your life. And then kind of getting that common ground and then moving on. Um, but I, I 100% don't convince them of anything. Uh, their family's already probably done a bunch of that, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's not my... It's not my, it's not my it's not my responsibility. It's uh, it's it's, a, it's my experience. It doesn't do any good to try and convince anybody of anything, right? Because I have to learn lessons, yeah, on my own. I have to have that experience, exactly. And, uh, it's just like um, I don't know. It, it happens all the time, just in regular life. Amber tells me something, and I don't believe her, and I have to go find out for myself. Oh yeah, she's like, they don't have any there at the store, and I'm like. 
You look in the right place. place. Yeah. Yeah. I got to go to the store and <laughs> right. find out for myself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. I had a really cool experience with my cousin when she was still out drinking and I was sober. Mm -hmm. And I know she was starting to cause some problems in her life. And I remember we were up camping and she was asking me about it. And basically I told her at the end, I was like, you know what? Your, cousin, your drinking's either going to get worse or it's going to get better. So I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there wasn't yeah. anything else to tell her because I didn't know if she, I mean, I had a pretty good idea she was. Right. But even at that, I, there was no answers for her because the truth was her drinking was either going to get worse or it was going to get better. Yep. You know, and so that, and then, and then I remember her calling me up, you know, months later and she was like, so I'm just having like, I'm just gonna, I'm just having two drinks. I haven't had a drink in 14 days and I'm now, when I do drink, I'm just gonna have two or three drinks. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. You should absolutely <laughs> yeah. do that. Knowing that she had to try that controlled drinking. Right. If she was going to make it in here, knowing that that was going to maybe save her some time down the road. Right. That she was trying to control her drinking. Yeah. Because our book says that too. You mm -hmm. know, if you're not convinced, go out and try it. And I mean, our friend Erica that we talked to um, said the funniest text she ever got from me was when I went back out and I was like, you know, she said something and I was like, you know what, I'm drinking again or whatever. And I was like, you know, I, I just, I have to go try some controlled drinking. She yeah. said it was the most absurd text she'd ever got <laughs> yeah. from me. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I will try not to spoil a later opportunity by being like, you're a fucking dummy, right? Yeah. Just like you did with your cousin. Like, that's a great idea. Like, yeah, yeah I'll give that a shot, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll see how that works, yeah. right? And it's like, I don't know, some people are able to reel it back in. Yeah. And so for me, our our book talks about qualifying someone, and that's where I kind of get is like, okay, we're going to find out how you drink. I'm going to share how I drink, and then we'll talk about what the book says about that, and then you're going to come to your own conclusion. And if you've got a plan in place of how you're going to do it differently, good luck, yeah. right? And like I, when you, if and when you need help, I hope that you'll still think of me, but that's kind of the end of it for me. And the reason why it matters the reason why it matters to do this like this for me is because if they do drink like I drink and they think like I think, mm -hmm. um, and we share that, you know, common illness, it doesn't, they're not going to do what's necessary to stay sober if they haven't experienced that. They just right. won't. Yeah. That's my experience. Absolutely. Like 100% of the time, this is not my opinion. Right. They're not going to go to the lengths that needed to go if they still think that they have another play on the board. Yep. That's just with people like me. Now, maybe with somebody else, it might be different. But for people like me that are of the hopeless variety, that are beyond human aid, there's no way they're gonna they're gonna get to that amends, or they're gonna get to that inventory, or they're gonna get to mm -hmm. the temp, they're gonna get to some point in the thing, and they're gonna be like, mm. they're gonna waver at it. Yeah, yeah. That last play that they had on the board, they're gonna go seek that out. And they're mm -hmm. gonna go try that. So hopefully. I want guys that are broken. Yeah. And we were joking about this on the previous one where it's like you see a guy come in and he's just beat to fucking sin and you're just like, yes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's twisted, but it's like, excellent. This guy's got a shot. But yeah. when you come in and someone, what I have seen in my own experience is someone comes in, they're like, well, I'm going to do this and yeah. I'm back in the gym again. Yes. I'm freaking, I'm, I've been at work for two weeks in a row. And yes. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, cool, man. Like, Good these, luck. <laughs> yeah. These are all the plans that I have right. now, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I haven't given up yet. Like, I'm not I'm not ready for what, what our program outlines, which is like complete turnover of my life to, yeah. to something else. Yeah. And if I'm still running it and calling the shots and coming up with plans, I'm not ready for that turnover yet. I want the guy that's like holding back tears saying... 
I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's the one. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just so fucked. I got no idea what to do. Yeah. And when, when that guy's there, that's when it's like, get over here, dude. Yeah. Like, come around. Come yeah. hang out. Come be a part. Come see this thing. Like, corral yeah. him in. And not that I exclude others, but it's like, that's the guy that is is qualified for our program yeah and that's just based in our own experience yeah. right like that's just what we've actually seen mm-hmm. in our time yeah exactly so yeah that um that first step though i really just try to put into words all of their experience because that was important for me was i'm like i don't know why the fuck this is happening yes. all the time and then i read it in our literature and it's like a light bulb goes off and I'm like, oh yes that's what that is yes so i kind of am just attempting to to do that with with anybody that i'm meeting with for first couple of meetings or whatever so and when we went to that treatment center they just did it in written form do you mm-hmm. remember they had you yeah. ask how many times have you planned on not drinking that you drank yeah how many times have you planned on only having a few and you had like be specific right so many times yeah 10 times you've been powerless or whatever yeah, yeah and so they just stuff. did it in more of a written form mm-hmm. like a little more formal yeah and like i think amy amy m when she was on she says she had her protégés right on the first step mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah but like, um, what I want to know from the person was, are they, have they been where I've been? And that is completely fucked with no plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you think you have another move on the chessboard yeah. still? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I need to be a checkmate. And then 12-step fellowships work. It's hard to pretty. It's it's hard to fully abandon myself to something else if I still have a belief in my ability to be victorious. Right. You know. Yeah. Exactly. How, how can I abandon myself to something else yep. if and I haven't completely given up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Which, yeah, it's a slipper. It's a it's a tough place. It's a jumping point. Be jumping off place though, because so many people do make that ultimate sacrifice and do, you know, give up because, I mean, that's almost where you have to be. Yeah. Not, not always. You know, I don't know. We, we've had a lot of guests on here and they haven't talked about that, but that, I don't know. Now I'm getting off. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's the beauty of this thing is like um, our external lives might look quite a bit different when we get here, but, but that, that feeling and the idea that I'm, I'm doomed, I'm never going to get this thing under control. Uh, has manifested into anyone that is that that I've been around that that has gone through the rest of the work. Yes, because like you were saying, like if if I think I got another play, I'm not going to go through the rest of the work. I'm going to try that first. Yeah. So, like, why, I, what, why would I? Right. It's like, well, I can write inventory and build a relationship with God and make amends and do regular inventories <laughs> and pray and meditate and work with other alcoholics. Or I can try this thing that I think yeah. might work. And so it's like, well, I'm going to take the easier, softer way 100% of the time. But you know what I didn't try? Yeah, exactly. Duh. Yeah. And that's my experience is like, and I say this openly at the meeting level, is like if if I could do this differently, I, I would have done it and I would I would continue to do it. But like this is the thing that works for me. And it's because I'm a hopeless drunk, like our book talks about. And and I and I said this like when when I got back and I went down to a meeting down in Loveland that I really enjoy and was it's you know one where you're called on to speak and I was still pretty fresh and still pretty new but I but back into the work and all of that and I told him like I've I've sworn off 
this 12-step fellowship multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately or fortunately, it treats what ails me, so I'm stuck here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, this is the only thing that that I've found that treats. Maybe there's something else, but this... I don't know. I've tried a lot of shit. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So like, so, so I'm here because this is my medicine. Yeah. And if I didn't have to be, I wouldn't be. Right. You know. Exactly. Uh, because, because that's me. Yeah. That's yeah. just what I need. So. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to hand on? We're 48 minutes in. So. No, I think I think we covered it. You know, and um. Yeah, I don't know. That first step for me is it's about choice. You know, am I using? Am I drinking against my will? And what happens when I put that stuff into me? And mm-hmm. um, and that internal condition that we talked to. Where where am I at internally on my belief in self and ability to recover? Because that does drive that second step. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, I would just want to reiterate that just because we're talking about quite a bit of stuff like that. This is. Aaron and I's experience yeah. and it's that doesn't mean it's a hundred percent right this is just what Aaron and I have done this is what Aaron and I see as Aaron and I both participate with with working with other alcoholics and drug addicts pretty regularly this is this is what our experience is and it, that doesn't mean if someone else's experience doesn't match this that that they're wrong or that we're wrong I would say that there's like Amy on that we had on the podcast Amy M said like I got to remind myself regularly there's so many ways to do it right. Yeah. And for me, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but that's the truth. So this is Aaron and I's experience around, around that first step and being hopeless and knowing that we need to do something different. So, yes. And this is why we're not affiliated with those groups. And Mm -hmm. this is why we don't represent those groups because there's so many people and they're having a lot of different experiences inside those fellowships that we would never want anybody listening to think that we're some kind of an authority or no shit about shit right except for what's happening in our lives and what we've experienced with the people that we've tried to work with exactly in our fellowship 100 percent. so what's the email our yeah yeah if you want to comment or uh you know questions or anything or whatever you know you can reach out to us at recovered af podcast at gmail.com and we have an instagram page recovered af podcast that we usually post pictures of aaron and i and now we've got some pictures of some of our guests and stuff that that are up so um you can reach out to us on that too so and like real quick i forgot um like so we were like dying for an email forever and then we got a few and we gave some shout outs Mm -hmm. and then my friend andrea emailed the show and i don't know if she still listens but i never gave her a shout out and i just appreciated her listening and and asking questions that was cool yeah that was awesome shout out andrea that was cool her email was like inquisitive and had questions and it was cool it was really awesome so yeah uh I think that's all I got. Though, yeah. So. so this so this will probably be the only one this week. We're at that conference in Estes Park Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I have to run golf carts while I'm there, so um, we're gonna try and do some podcasting. I met Amy, Amy's protege that we didn't oh, hook cool. up with last time. Yeah. And so she's down to do it when we're up there. She awesome. said, "Bring your equipment." And so we're gonna try and get some at this conference because there's some um, bad mofos there for sure. So yeah, we'll have hopefully a few. And then we'll probably try to get one out again midweek next week or something of you and I, and we'll see what, what maybe what kind of guest or something. And then um, the following week, we got a bunch of people from different places because they're all coming in town yeah. for Brian, who's been on the podcast. So, Heels, yeah. Guy from Canada, a guy from uh, Minnesota, and some people around. So, 
Uh, we should have a lot more guests coming out here in the next couple of weeks. So, a guy from Canada, eh? Yeah, dude. All right. His name's Terrence or Philip, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks.